Some of you may still be wondering why we celebrate anniversaries here at Heritage Bible Church. Well, we don't celebrate all of them, but we do celebrate some of them. So statistically, if you look at pastors and churches and their relationship together and how long a pastor stays at a church, the first milestone for a pastor not leaving a church is three years. There's just something about that first two to three years, two and a half years, where churches decide they don't want their pastor or pastors decide they don't want to be in the church. And so that's a milestone. And if you have a long enough memory, you can think back and you remember that we celebrated four years. We celebrated four years. I went back and I read my four-year anniversary sermon just to see what I had to say back then. And, and then the next milestone is seven years. They call it the seven-year itch. It's not unique to pastors and churches. There's a seven-year itch in a lot of things. Uh, it, it takes place in marriages. It takes place in employment. It takes place in a lot of different areas, but it's also very true for pastors and churches. There's a seven-year bump that you got to get past. So we're celebrating eight years. And my goal from day one has been to be the pastor of this church until I'm no longer physically capable of being a pastor. That's, that's my goal. That was my stated goal. That goal hasn't changed. Yet I know that goals aren't always reached because that was my goal, my first youth pastor job, my second youth pastor job, and my third youth pastor job. And, and so I know these goals. So when God brings us through these times, we should celebrate. We should look for reasons to celebrate what God is doing. Because it's not that I'm so great, and it's not that you're so great. It's that God has created an atmosphere and created a situation and put a body of people together that under his leadership and under his authority, we have functioned in a healthy way for the last eight years. And we should celebrate this to remind us of what God's done and what he's doing, also to motivate us for the next eight years, the next 16 years, the next 24 years, whatever the, whatever the case may be, so that we are always a healthy church, always a church moving forward. It's going to come out later, but I'll just say it now. The, the very moment in time that we stop looking forward, we will start falling backward. And a backward-moving church is a dying church, and a dying church becomes a dead church, and a dead church becomes an empty church. We cannot allow that process to take place because if we do we are not serving god we are not honoring god we are not listening to god so we always have to be moving forward and that's that's one of that's kind of the main point today the thing i want to drive home is that that we have to be forward looking we have to be asking god what do you want us to do where do you want us to improve where do you want us to increase and so we're going to get there but i want to do a little review of what's happened in the past eight years so the first side of your notes every every line starts with in the past eight years so let's fill in some blanks in the past eight years heritage bible church has celebrated 35 salvations 35 salvations that i'm aware of in other words ones that were reported to me there may be some in sunday school or awana that, that i'm not aware of there may be some that took place in your homes but we have celebrated 35 salvations together some of those happened right here in our sanctuary again i know some happened in awana some took place in your homes 
I know of one that took place on the phone, and I've told you about that. I got a call from Peggy who said, call my son. My son's ready to accept Christ. I called her son in Alaska. He was ready to accept Christ, and he did. So even over the phone, we've had salvation. So we celebrated 35 salvations and 29 baptisms. We've baptized people right here on the stage. We've baptized people in the Columbia River, and we've baptized people in the Ilocomen River. I don't know where else we can baptize somebody, but if there's, you know, an opportunity somewhere. But we celebrate these things, salvations and baptism. This is what we're called to be a part of. We have witnessed seven baby dedications, seven baby dedications. There, there may be more. I don't keep great records, but I try to keep records, and I can account for seven that we've done. And then C, Heritage Bible Church has allowed me to perform 11 weddings, including some I don't know what you call them, do-overs or re, uh, re, recommittals, whatever. Do-overs, probably not a good word. <laughs> Eleven, <laughs> renewal, yeah. Eleven weddings and 14 funerals. A and I actually counted a privilege when I get to do someone's funeral. That's uh, a, a, a rare thing. Not many people get to stand up front and lead, lead a, a funeral. It's, a, it's an exceptionally wonderful day when someone's a believer and we get to minister to the family. So um, category number one, I want to say that we, Heritage Bible Church, this is a we ministry. We celebrate the salvations together. We work towards the salvations together. We celebrate the baptisms together. We work towards that. We're involved in that discipleship and evangelistic process. We celebrate our families, particularly through baby dedications and weddings. And we celebrate those who have moved on to glory in our, our funerals. It's a we ministry. But number two, there's more. In the past eight years, our standard of truth has been God's holy scripture. Our standard of truth has been God's holy scripture. I hope nobody is shocked to hear that. You should all just go, and all of a sudden go, duh. It should be so obvious. Every sermon is out of God's word. At deacon meetings, we ask questions what does the Bible say about this? What would God have us think about this? In our ministries, we're seeking God's will. We look to Scripture to make sure we're in line with Scripture. Our Sunday school classes, we, we make sure the, the curriculum is, is Bible-centered. Everything we do, our standard of truth is God's Holy Scripture. Not some book somebody wrote, not some idea somebody had. It's God's Holy Scripture. B, our directive or our purpose has been the Great Commission. That's from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'll read that really quick. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I have the authority, here's the instructions, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. The Great Commission. Make disciples, baptize disciples, teach disciples. That's our directive. That's our purpose. In, on the directory, you'll find these things on the front now. We're, we're like going like to publish them. And you know what's interesting is we didn't have to come up with cute sayings. We took them right from Scripture. So our, our directive, our purpose is the Great Commission. See, our motto is based on Luke 10.27. Luke 10.27, you could probably guess it after the second word. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord of God with all your 
heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're, we're going to love God, and we're going to love others. That's our motto. It's on our stickers that go on your windows. It's, it's who we are. That's what our motto is based on. D, our vision has been to create, grow, and empower disciples. That goes right back to the Great Commission. Our vision, what we look ahead to, what we look forward to, what we set as goals. That's why we have Awanas. That's why we have Sunday School. That's why we have Youth Group. That's why we have Wednesday Night Discipleship. That's why we have small groups that meet. It's, it's so that we can create, grow, and empower disciples. They take in and they give out. They are ministered to and they minister to others. As they grow, they teach. That's our vision. And our goal, and you know a goal, the thing about a goal is it's ongoing. Our goal has been to make these things available to everyone. Now we haven't quite got there yet. It's, these things, we don't have something for everybody. There's, there's little groups and little niches that aren't quite being ministered to. So that goal continues. There's always people and families that haven't heard the gospel, so in that sense, the goal continues. But we want to we keep these things on our mind. We want to keep these things in front of us. These are the things that all of our ministry leaders should be considering as they make plans and make decisions. These are things we must be considering as we make church plans and church decisions. Most importantly, our standard of truth has been God's holy scriptures. Number three, in the past eight years, I got out the records, I did the math, so this is, uh, if, not, if not super accurate, it's pretty accurate, because I, I can count up to 50 really well, so I think I did good here. So A, in the past eight years, A, we have gained 33 active members. 33. What's an active member? An active member has to provide a written testimony to me, the pastor. Probably the most intimidating part of the whole process. I, I'm going to have to write down on paper my salvation story, and I'm going to let the pastor read it. That's the first thing an active member has to do. Then they have to come to a class. That may be the most feared thing, because they think it's going to be long and boring. Try not to do that. Try to make it short and sweet, but effective. So the testimony is shared, a class is taken, and, and then the easiest part of all official recognition, re recognition, the deacons make a motion, the church approves membership. So in the past eight years, we have added through that process... 33 active members. Active means you're attending, you're participating. Okay, you don't just get to have your name on the roll and then be done with it. It's active participation. So B, that's the, that's the plus side. B, the negative side, we've lost nine members to other churches. That's probably the easiest way to lose someone when you know they're going to church somewhere else. I can live with that. May not be my first choice, but it's definitely my second choice. Still involved in church, still serving God, still hearing the, the word of God. Nine members going to other churches. Seven, we've lost to other cities. I could say eight because Margie's pretty much moved to Idaho. We're going to have to make it nine when Bill drives away for the last time. But uh, moving to other cities, um, I'm gonna, I could also put them in the category of going to other churches when they get there. But we've lost some just because they moved. We've lost three um, to death. It says two. Change that to three. We've lost three to death. And 11 have simply stopped going to church. That's, that's the hard category. There's 11 members, past members, uh, inactive members now, who just stopped going to church for whatever reason. Now, this 
33 addition and, and 31 decrease, if you add those up, those are members. It doesn't account for regular attenders. doesn't account for people that have not become members, people that come and, and go. Their, their the records are not kept for them. So, so, num- so C, we have a current active membership of 45 and a roster of 80 plus attenders. Now you might look around and you go, wow, I don't see 80 people here. Well, there is another service, but if you look around there, you don't see 80 people either. Our average attendance in the last few months has been around 65. But of those 65, 80 people mill around every month. And if we could get everyone here on the same Sunday, whoo, that'd be awesome, right? I pray that every Sunday, by the way. We have 80 plus people. There's 80 people in our directory, and our directory only includes people who are regular attenders, people who come enough to be on the rolls that we know who they are. So 80 plus people. Our highest attendance was this last Easter. We had 102 people there that Sunday. Our lowest attendance was 27 at the height of Wakayakum County COVID outbreak. I don't know if you remember this, but like one week, no COVID. Next week, all COVID in our county. That's kind of how it went. I don't know what happened. That's how it went. We went from 85 the Sunday before to 27 the Sunday after. And by the way, those 27 were spread into two services. I think it was like 10 and 18. That was a rough Sunday. But uh, that's, that's our attendance. So th- these are just kind of facts, details, um, things we can look at, things we can think about. But number four, uh, mainly or trivial, I just kind of wanted to know this for me because I feel important with such large numbers. Um, in the past eight years, I have prepared and delivered 383 sermons. 383 sermons. This is where my accounting may not be great because I literally pulled up the list and went one, two, three, four, five, six. And then when there was a guest speaker, I put up a thumb. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty. So that's how I counted. But I'm pretty close. 383 sermons. B, we've had guest speakers, student speakers, members speak, and video guests deliver 37 sermons. So 37 times someone else has delivered the sermon, which is good. Uh, C, we began posting audio sermons in podcast form on Podbean and Apple Podcast and video sermons on YouTube. And, and I'm telling you, the YouTube channel is taking off. We're up to five people watching it. Five people, like every three months. So I'm telling you, it's taking off. It's incredible. I don't know if we can, probably going to have advertisers knocking on the door soon. But for five people, it's worth it. We'll do it, right? Uh, a lot of people listen to the podcast. And D, we've gone from a $69,000 budget to a $100,040 budget. I didn't want to round up. I didn't want to lose that 40 there. But most importantly, not once operating in the red. Not once operating in the red. Now, don't turn your paper over yet. I, I heard those papers flip from right back over. We're not done talking about this side. I want to say this, and I want you to hear this. I want you to hear it explicitly. Every good thing on this page is by God's grace and for God's glory. I'm not that good. You're not that good. We're not that good. This is not that good. On our own, we would fail at this. 
It is by God's grace. It is by God's grace that God allowed us to participate in 35 salvations and celebrate 29 baptisms. It's by God's grace that, that we have instructions to live by, that we have the Holy Scriptures that we can embrace. It's by God's grace that our, our membership has increased and our budget has increased and opportunities are, are here to share the gospel. It's by God's grace that sermons are given. It's by God's grace that the finances have been here. There has been many a deacon meeting where we've looked at the finances and said, this, we don't understand this. God is obviously preparing us for something because we, we keep making the budget. Not one time have we been in the red. And I want to stop. We don't normally stop and pray in the middle of the sermon, but I think it's appropriate. I'm going to stop and I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I, I want to I openly, officially, and, and directly give God the glory for this. And I want you to join me. So, Father God, we bow before you today in, in, in awe and acknowledging what you have done. It is, is your power at work. It is your plans in the making. It's your leading that we follow. It's your scripture that gives us instruction. It's your Holy Spirit that helps us to hear it. It's your provision that pays the bills. It, it's all from you. It's all for you. And it's all by you. I think it's so important that we acknowledge that before we start getting a, a big head and start feeling proud of ourselves. And so we, we give you the honor and we give you the glory. And we ask that you continue these things. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this town. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this church. And may you always receive the honor and the glory. May your name be lifted up above all others. May our names be forgotten. May only you be remembered. And we sincerely pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can turn that page over. I want to go back to the Old Testament. This is not quite in your notes yet, so just run with me. You remember when the people of Israel... Were, were facing a certain demise at the hands of the Egyptians. The army was coming at them. They were between a fortress and a rock on a, on a sandy beach looking at the Red Sea. And, and Moses cried out, what are we going to do? And then God parted the Red Sea. And he said they walked on dry ground. So at a moment of decision, where do we go? What do we do? It doesn't look good in any direction. God cleared the water out, dried the ground, and they marched across, and then it came back down on the Egyptians. They could see what God wanted them to do. When the waters parted, I think it was fairly obvious they were supposed to cross. And then when Moses said, let's go, then it was really obvious. God made his will very clear to them. I brought you here not for the Egyptians. I brought you here for me. We're going to cross the Red Sea. Let's go. Let's move. And they did it. Now fast forward to the Jordan River. Joshua's in charge now. They have to cross the Jordan River at flood season, which means they can't get across, at least not very easily. And how are we going to get across? How are we going to enter the land? Well, this time, God also parted the water. This time he did it differently. In my mind, at least, at the Red Sea, there was walls of water. It separated both directions. At the Jordan River, it says that he stopped the water miles up river, and it became dry, and I think they crossed in mass. But the water did not move until the priests put their feet in the water. It required a step of faith. It required them to take 
a step of obedience to say, okay, God, we're going to do what you ask us to do. Then it all happened. Well, we stand at a place much like the nation of Israel did at the Jordan River. We don't know exactly what God's going to do, but we know he has a plan. And his plan will be revealed more than likely only after we take steps of obedience. God often reveals step two after you take step one, and he reveals step three after you take step two. And I believe that's where we're at as a church. That's where we're at as a church. God is going to say, I want you to do this, and we can either say yes or no. The people at the Jordan had the opportunity. They could have said, no, let's just get back in the desert. We've been here for 40 years. Let's stay here. Or it's been a while. Let's go back to Egypt and see if they're friends now. They could have done other things, but they moved forward. And that's, that's the position we need to have, that attitude. And I want to take us through some scriptures, and, and, and then I'll talk to you more about what, those, what that looks like. So Philippians 1, 3 through 6, these are all in your notes. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. This is Paul writing a letter to the people in the church in Philippi. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you, every time I think of you. In my prayers for all of you, some individually and also as a church, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What's that joy based in? It's in confidence, confidence of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work, that'd be Christ. He who began a good work, who saved you. He who who've helped form the church. He who indwells you, the Holy Spirit. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Going to get the job done. When is that completion? The day of Christ Jesus. When is the day of Christ Jesus? It's the rapture. So he says, we're, um, he's going to keep working. He's going to keep working. His plans aren't going to stop. Christ will always be working. You're part of that working plan. And it's going to go on until the day of Christ Jesus. Until judgment comes. Until the end comes. For them, it would have been their, their death. All right, That would have been their day of Christ Jesus. When they met Jesus face to face. Some will meet him in triumph. Some will meet him in judgment. But it never ended. It wasn't over. All right? Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary. Okay? Or in other words, let us not get tired of. Let us not grow weary. Let us not get tired of doing good. For at the proper time, which is when God says so, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't, don't, give, don't grow weary. Don't get tired of your good, your good work. And, and don't give up. Don't give up. God has a plan, and, and in his proper time, we'll reap a harvest. Don't give up. Okay? The work's never finished. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task to testify to the good news of God's grace. This is Paul talking to the people who are saying, if you go, you're going to be killed. You're going to die. Don't go. It's not worth it. And he says, I don't care if I die. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. I want to see it all the way to the end. I'm not going to quit early. I'm not going to give up for my comfort. I'm not going to give up for my safety. I'm going to 
finish the race and complete the task that the Lord gave me. And of course, he was fully confident that the Lord would allow him to do that. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So let's get rid of the stuff we can get rid of. Let's get rid of the sin. Let's get rid of the, the, even the good stuff that, that keeps me from serving God. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run not giving up. Let us run for the long haul. Let us be in it to the end. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, you will receive. It's your future inheritance. So we, we don't give up. We keep working. We, we finish the race. We complete the task. We know that God's going to do his job. We need to be a part of that. We, we, we run with perseverance because sometime in the future I'll receive an inheritance. Of course, that will be the day of the Lord when I meet Jesus face to face. I'll receive my inheritance. So we have all these scriptures. What's the common thread? Well, here's the statement in your notes. The common thread in all these passages is this for today. There is no end to the Christian life. There is no end to the Christian life or the church age or our instruction for life until the return of Christ and or our entrance into eternity. I'm not done living for Christ until I'm dead, which means that I'm now in eternity with Christ, or I'm not done living for Christ until he returns, which again means I'm in his presence. My job never ends. The church's job never ends. Okay? All the Bible ever talks about in its promises and its, in, its directions and its instructions is the future. So all it ever talks about is the future. Promises are for the future. Uh, uh, direction is for the future. Eternity is for the future. Obedience is for the future. It's all future related. Let's look at some more scripture. Revelation 3, 1 through 2. So to the angel of the church of Sardis writes... These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. We'll stop there for a second. The, the church has deeds. I'm writing to the church and I know your deeds. The church itself is a, is a body and the church itself has deeds. It also has a reputation. It says you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. On the outside, looking in, you look good. You have a good reputation. Your facilities are well taken care of. People think you're spiritual. Uh, the community likes you. The Chamber of Commerce likes you. The neighborhood likes you. You bring up property value. You have a reputation of being alive. You, you, you pray loudly. You meet regularly. But you are dead. What a condemnation for a church. Everyone thinks you're great. But you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. There's still hope. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What's the problem? Their deeds were unfinished. They quit running the race. They quit completing the tasks. They quit persevering. They quit looking to the future inheritance. They did give up. They did grow weary. 
They said, God, do what you're going to do, but we're going to take a break. And in the taking of the break, their reputation continued, but they were dead. They were no longer doing what God needed them to do. He was no longer pleased with them. What are those unfinished deeds? They probably stopped sharing the gospel. They probably stopped discipling children and adults. They stopped growing as a family of God. They stopped serving the community. They stopped speaking for God. They stopped preaching the truth. They stopped looking at God's word as the ultimate authority. They stopped doing the things they were supposed to do. They didn't finish. Their deeds were unfinished. That's a warning, all right? Revelation 3, 15 and 16, it's about the church in Laodicea. It's just a few verses later. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. The context here, in case you don't know, Laodicea was a city... And there were two other cities higher up than they were, and water flowed from both those cities to Laodicea. One city had very fresh, cool water, and, and people would go there just to get the water. I don't know if Steve still does it, but he used to go to a spring up somewhere, and he'd get water in a bottle, and he'd serve it to us at men's breakfast and tell us how good this water is, so much better than all the other water. Totally worth the drive to go get spring water. And yeah, it tasted pretty good. Eh, whatever. This was that kind of water. People traveled to get this water. They drank this water, and it so refreshed them. It tasted so good. It was so cool to the touch. Remember, they didn't have refrigeration. This water came out cold. And they drank it, and they were, they were refreshed and energized, ready to move on. That was one city. The other city had hot springs. And people traveled to that city to soak in the water and to bathe in the water, and they claimed it had medicinal purposes, that people were actually healed by being in the water. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they thought. And people would go there to, be, uh, to, to get into the hot springs, to, to, to take a warm bath, if you will, and that was their reputation. And so people traveled to both these cities, but Laodicea got the runoff from both places. And when the water mixed together at Laodicea, it was far enough away from the cool, crisp water that it wasn't that cool and crisp anymore. And it was far enough away from the hot springs that it wasn't that warm anymore. And it mixed together and it just made it ugh, kind of water. And it just was blah. didn't taste very good. It wasn't medicinal anymore and it wasn't refreshing anymore. And he says, that kind of water, you just spit out of your mouth. You take a drink of that and you just spit it out. No good at all. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. And the people of Laodicea knew exactly what he was saying. He says, I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He's saying this to the church in Laodicea. He said, you know what, you guys are, you guys are pretty much worthless right now. You're not doing anything. You're not healing anybody. You're not ministering to anybody. You're not refreshment to anybody. You're not, uh, you're not a breath of fresh air. You're not saying anything. You need to say, you guys are just existing. And, and, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That was their warning. So one church wasn't doing the things anymore that, that gave them the good reputation. And the other church wasn't who they used to be. They weren't refreshing anymore. What's the lesson for the church? And you and I, as its members, here's the lesson. Number one, if we choose to be happy and content with what's already been accomplished, then we will look good from the outside while we're dying on the inside. 
if we look at page number one, we pat ourselves on the back, and we say, yeah, good job, Heritage Bible Church. Good job, Pastor Dave. We, we are doing good. I think maybe we deserve a little vacation now. Maybe we need to take a little break. If we choose to be happy and content, and, and I don't say this without experience, I had known churches that have gone through this, and I have been in churches that have gone through this. When you feel like you've arrived, when you feel like the status quo is good enough, when you no longer strive to serve God more and better, then you start moving backwards. You can look good on the outside, you're dying on the inside, like the church in Sardis. And a dying church eventually dies. A dying church eventually dies. So, what's, what's the, the motive? What's the application here? Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Don't ever say to yourself, ah, oh, you know, things are good. Things are good. Don't get excited. Don't worry about it. Number two, if we stop seeking God's will, obeying his obvious commands, like the Great Commission, love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, if we stop seeking God's will in the less obvious and stop obeying in the obvious and stop moving forward in faith, trusting God to provide for what he has asked us to do, then we will cease to be a place of healing and refreshment. We will be lukewarm. Continuing on, we will cease to be a place of healing and refreshment and simply become a church that exists but offers little or nothing to the kingdom of God, like Laodicea. Those churches got these letters and recorded in Scripture as a warning to the rest of us. Don't, don't be like them. And, and, and we must make sure that we don't become like them. So number three, this is why the next eight years are so critical. Why did I pick eight? Because it matched, right? All right, it matched. There's no special number eight there, but the next eight years are just as critical as the first eight years. We will either shrink into comfort and complacency, shrink into comfort and complacency. What will that look like? People will move out of town and we'll just wave goodbye and be less. People will leave the church and we'll say goodbye and be less. People will die. We'll say goodbye and be less. And pretty soon, because no one's getting saved, no one's being invited, no one's being reached out to, pretty soon, we'll go from a membership of 45 and, and an active attendance of 80 down to a, a membership of 20 and an and a, and a attendance of 40. Then 10 and 20, then 5 and 10, and then we'll be like so many churches that we have heard about, maybe seen, maybe know. But there's eight or ten people who are just hanging on until they have enough people die that they can't pay the bills anymore and then they fold. That's what a dying church looks like. And so we can either shrink into comfort, work on our own comfort levels and complacency, or we can burst, okay, burst forth into 50 more years of faithful service and gospel ministry. Why did I pick 50? Because I plan to be dead by then. This, this is not a Dave thing. It's a Heritage Bible Church thing. It's a move on beyond thing. We're setting up the future. We can burst forth. We can burst forth into 50 more years. Now, 
we've gotten to the end of the notes. We're not to the end of the sermon. So if you're, if you're saying to yourself, but, but wait, we haven't talked about everything you said we're going to talk about. Well, I know that. This is a two-part sermon. Next week, you get part two. Next week will be the application. What do we do with this information? What does bursting forth look like? What is the thing God's asking us to do that we either rise up to or shrink away from? What is God calling us to do that, that is equivalent to stepping into the water on the Jordan River instead of walking away saying, no, that's scary? What is God calling us to do in our daily walk and, and in our forward-looking walk? What is God calling us to do as individuals? What is God calling us to do as a church? We're going to continue the sermon next week. We're going to bring the application. And I hope that you're invested enough that you're not going to miss next week. Because we, we are on a, a kind of a precipice. We've been discussing at the, at the deacon meeting that, that we may not know exactly what God's doing, but God is moving. God is doing something. God is preparing for something. And when he reveals to us what he's preparing, we need to get on board. And it will not be the easy answer. It will not be the easy way out. I know this because I've been at this point in time before. I've seen meetings where the decision must be made. Do we move forward trusting God for this big thing? Or do we trust our own assessment of our bank account and our number of people and our skill levels? And do we just stay where we're at? And I'm challenging you that staying where you're at is never the right answer. Now, God doesn't always ask big things. He might ask small things. He might ask for a lot of small things. He might ask you to get involved in a ministry you never thought you'd be involved in before. Something that scares you. He might ask you to start something you never thought you would ever be in charge of. He may ask you to do a variety of things in a variety of ways. But we must be a church that is continually refreshing and continually healing, seeking God's will, not giving up, looking at the race as something we finish so we can complete the task he's given us, looking forward to our inheritance, knowing that our job is not over until Christ returns or we go to where he is. We either die and we're in heaven with Christ or he comes down here and we're raptured. That's our two choices. That's, that's when we end. That's when our rest begins. And I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that even in heaven, we're not just going to sit around resting all the time. I think there's going to be a lot of activity, and we're going to have responsibility, and it's going to be wonderful. It's not going to be, a, oh, I have to go to work today. It's, oh, I get to go serve God today. And that's going to be great. So we're going to end right here. We're going to pick it up here next week. And I pray that uh, you're all here. And I pray that anyone missing today will listen online. So, Father God, I stand before you today. We are before you today. And we acknowledge that as human beings, it would be so easy to fall into the trap of complacency. And to fall into the pit of security. And, and to not follow in faith to not put my name on the list of volunteers to not get involved in that ministry to not believe that you're really in it 
to not make an investment of my time, energy, or finances. That's the way the, that's the, way the world works. I need to take care of me and I need to not worry about others. I, I don't need to get crazy with my religion. But Father, help us. I pray that as, as the pastor and I pray for the leaders that whatever this thing is that you're planning, that you will reveal it to us soon. And, and that, so that we can respond and say, yes, Lord. But in the meantime, we accept the role of patience. Waiting to see where you're going to take us. Waiting to see what you have in mind. So Father, I, I don't know exactly what is supposed to happen at the end of this sermon, but I pray that the Holy Spirit does His work so that our hearts are prepared for next week and you prepare my mind for what's to be said next week and may it all be of you. And then I go back to the beginning where all the good things that have happened, we give you honor and glory. We ask that you continue those good things, that people be saved, that more people are involved in the church, that, that we have more active members than regular attenders, and that, that you are honored through the process. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.